If you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Let us give careful attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. I'll read from verse 4, uh, actually through verse, verse 7. Hear the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let us pray. Lord God, we are on holy ground this morning because you are here and your word is with us. And so, Lord, as we consider this particular portion of Scripture, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. We don't want to take up time and space just to take up time and space, but we want to hear a thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think probably most of you, if you've been around for any length of time and studied the scriptures, you'll know that the Apostle Paul was used of the Lord to plant a church in Philippi. Initially, he wasn't planning on going to Philippi, but the Holy Spirit stopped him from going to the east and told him to go to the west because a vision had, he had received calling for help in Philippi and other areas of Macedonia. So Paul goes there, and Paul is used of God to plant the church. He meets Lydia. Lydia and her family are converted. They're baptized. They become members of the body of Christ. Later on, after Paul and Silas are incarcerated for a period of time, I don't know exactly how long, but they're there in the jail and they're singing and they're praying and the, and the, and the whatever's keeping them, the bars or whatever, are falling off because of an earthquake and they step out thinking that the jailer is going to kill himself because if, if he's not killed himself, the authorities will kill him. But Paul stops him. Paul shares the good news of Christ with him and he and his family are saved and become a part of the church in Philippi. It's about a decade later, and Paul finds himself in Rome in prison once again. He spends a lot of time in prison, but he always uses that to the advantage of the God of creation and the God of redemption. He never wastes his time, even if he's in prison. 
But the church in Philippi, they had a great love for the Apostle Paul. He started the church and therefore he was very important to them. So they sent Epaphroditus to go there and minister to him, perhaps bringing him food, clothing, perhaps a parchment or two, whatever it was that they thought he might need. And he went there and Epaphroditus evidently gave him an understanding of what was going on in Philippi. It wasn't a perfect church because there's no such thing as a perfect church. But Philippi was a very good church, but it also had problems. It had problems. And we'll talk about them a little bit later. But he's writing this letter given to Epaphroditus to bring back to the church of Philippi, but not only to the church in Philippi. You see, the letters are written to the church throughout the ages. They're for us just as they were for Philippi, for the Christians there. And we need to pay attention to the Word of God. And there's a lot of things that Paul begins as you go through Philippians. He says, first of all, very encouraging sorts of things. He says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete that work on the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're saved, if you've given your life to Christ and, 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 and you love him and you acknowledge that he loves you, and lavishes his love upon you and gives you his Holy Spirit, he's going to finish the work. When your life in this world is gone, is finished, your time is concluded, you, when you die, you not only die, your soul lives, and one day your body will be reconstituted in the new heavens and new earth to be in the presence of the living God for all eternity. He began a good work in you will complete that work. There's no doubt. God said it, and it's true. He also said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We talked about that last week, and, and, and Paul was basically saying, Lord, I'm willing to stay. If there's work for me to do, I will stay as long as I possibly can because I would like to plant other churches. I want to be an encouragement to the Christians in Philippi and other places. I want to be able to do all the things that I did before. So, But I'm ready to stay, or willing to stay, but I am ready to go and be with you. That's a position of every Christian, every day. We should say, Lord, I'm willing to stay, but I'm ready to go. Now, if you're not a Christian, you, might, you don't want to say that. You want to say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you change my heart and give me a renewed mind that I want to follow after you? So Paul said a couple of other things. He says, it's been granted to you to believe. It's not something that you decided for yourself. The gate was open. You heard the gospel and God the Lord Jesus irresistibly draws you into the gate, into the kingdom of God. Thank God. Paul wasn't looking for a savior. He was looking to persecute the Christians. But Jesus found him on the road to Damascus and instantaneously Paul was changed. And one last thing, there are so many things there. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's in prison. He doesn't think he's going to die, but he's in prison. Most of us, if we're in prison, would be, oh, woe is me. 
Well, maybe you wouldn't, but I probably would. But I hope that would change after a short period of time, that I might be like the Apostle Paul and the others that suffered for Jesus. But rejoice in the Lord always, not just sometimes when everything seems to be going our way. It's kind of easy to rejoice about that. But when a little persecution or somebody's saying something about us or doing something that's un, you know, not very nice and we maybe not feel like rejoicing, then what is Paul? Paul's in prison and he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Today we're going to basically talk about worry, anxiety, and how to deal with that. Uh, when I was growing up, I was the fourth son in my family. There were a good number of years between us. But as the older ones went out a little bit and driving and things like that, my mother would always, always say, but you know, I'm, I'm just worried. I'm worried about, I'm worried about, I won't mention their names, I'm worried about all three of them. And I thought, well, that's just what mothers do. They worry. That's what I saw my mother doing, worrying all the time. I didn't see my dad doing that. He was busy working really hard outside the home. She was working hard in the home. But she was a worry ward. And later on, when I came, became a Christian, I finally decided to confront her with that. Gently. I love my mother. She's deceased. Uh, she cared for us. I, I can't, I, I don't know if I ever heard a cross word from her. I did feel some switches from her from time to time, though. But none of the boys turned out to be criminals, and I thank God for that. Uh, but anyway, I decided I would talk to her about her worry, because I knew. Because worry, the scripture says, is a sin. It's a lack of trust in the living God. God has made us promises. And it's almost as if we don't believe those promises. We want to take control of our own lives. And if we want to worry about it, we'll worry about it. We'll have anxiety and our hairs will turn gray or maybe they'll fall out, whatever the case may be. Maybe we'll have an ulcer. Paul says you don't need to do all those things. God says you don't need to do all those things. So I was talking to my mother. I said, Mom, can you tell me one thing that changed because of your worry? Just name one. And of course, she couldn't because she couldn't look out and see my brothers and what they were doing or me and what I was doing. She was just worried. On two occasions, God gives us a command. Stop it. Stop it. Stop worrying. Because there's a lot of things to worry about. You think of different spheres of life in the family, you know. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I'm a great-grandfather right now. What kind of life and what kind of world is my youngest, youngest uh, offspring? What, 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 what kind of world is he going to live in? Is he going to choose the right people to know? Is he going to become a follower of Christ unless Christ comes before? Is he going to get in with the wrong group? Is he going to be able to get a good education? Will he be able to have a good job to take care of himself and also his family, if he has a family? So people worry about all things. Uh, 
families, sickness, you know, how, to, how do you deal with sickness and death? Uh, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. What's going to happen if, if someone close to us dies? How are we going to deal with that? As Christians, we can say, for me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every Christian should be able to say that. And every family should be a, a motto. That's not to say that we won't grieve or, or a great deal, because grieving is a part of life. As, as Solomon says, there's a time for everything. Uh, there's a time for joy, there's a time for dancing, there's a time for planting, there's a time for everything. There's a time for grieving, but we don't stay there. We keep moving on, believing that God is always, and God always does the right thing. But things, family, we're worried about perhaps, or uh, other things like work, uh, the workforce is changing. I, I can't really deal with the workforce today. It's a good thing I'm a pastor and I'm about finished the course that God has given me because I can't deal with technology. My wife does. Thank God I need her all the time. She's my computer, plus many other things. We'll soon be married 53 years. But, but we worry about work and whether we're going to have the skills to be in the workplace. Maybe our AI is going to take over and we'll sit home and won't know what to do. We'll be twiddling our thumbs, whatever the case may be. Or we're worried about the church. Is the church going to stay steadfast? Is it going to hold to the truth? The church in Ephesus did early on. If you read uh, Revelation chapter 2, the, the doctrines were held to for a generation. Uh, the, the elders held a doctrine and the church stayed together and then another generation grew up that neither knew God nor the things of God and didn't want to do the same thing and the church became very liberal and ultimately the church in Ephesus was removed because of their disobedience. Sort of like in, in Judges after, after Joshua gives that parting thing said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in, jo and in Judges chapter 2, a generation grew up that did not know God nor the things of God. It happens. Is this church going to remain steadfast, immovable in terms of holding to the truth, even if it takes your life? Took a lot of people's lives. Took Paul's took all the apostles with the exception of John. So there is a danger. But is that danger worth it? Indeed. Standing for Christ is worth everything, even if it takes our life. So there's two things I want to say that would be an antidote to worry and anxiety. You know, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, there's a portion of, of that is in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Because God takes care of all of that. In fact, the, the Lord's Prayer, what is, what, what's the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer? Lord, give me today my daily bread. Give me everything that I need for life. 
doesn't mean that I have to have an abundance, but everything that I need, not everything that I want. To my knowledge, none of God's people have ever gone begging bread. So we pray in the Lord's Supper, Lord, give me daily bread. And then a little bit later, Jesus addresses those who are worrying. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. Your responsibility and your first responsibility is to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else, in a sense, will take care of itself. When do we put God first? When is the kingdom the thing that we think about every day? How do we serve the Lord wherever we are, whether it's in the home or the workplace or in the church? Well, how do we do that? The kingdom of God comes first. Don't worry about the food and the drink and the clothing. That's a given from God. God said it, and God will do it. And what, what are the people there that he's addressing there on the mount? They're wondering about what, what they're going to eat or drink or be clothed. What's Paul thinking about? He's not, he's not having a pity party in the, in the jail there in Rome. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do if he gets out. He's not thinking about what he's going to wear or what he's going to eat or what he's going to drink or other things that we have so many things on our mind today rather than the kingdom of God or worshiping on the Lord's day. We have all these other things on our mind and we forget about our primary responsibility is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to us. So Paul was in prison. There was friction in the church in Philippi. There were false teachers coming to the church. What is Paul thinking about? The church. Not even thinking about what he's going to eat or what Epaphroditus is bringing him or whatever. He's thinking about the church. And you see that in almost all of Paul's writing. All the things that he's been through, beaten, shipwrecked, uh, snake bitten, all those things that are recovered in Second. 2 Corinthians 6 and 11, all those things that happened to the Apostle Paul. And at the end of 11 there, he says, my concern was for the church. Do you have a concern for the church? Is it a priority in your life or is it just something that we kind of cruise through life and we make time, we go. If we don't have time, we don't go. Church is important. It's important to God, and it should be important to the people of God. So Paul, so Paul is writing, and, and basically he's saying what Jesus has said. He gives them a commandment to stop worrying. Stop worrying. Just like I asked my mother, did anything change, Mom? And Paul is saying here, None of us know the future. We don't know what tomorrow's going to happen, what's, what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know that. We can't, we can't prophesy that. We don't know it. What we know is today. And today we are not called to worry or be anxious about anything, but to live the day out, each and every day, to the glory of God in every sphere of life that you're in and I'm in. And there are no exceptions. He says, be anxious for nothing. 
not for how much money you're going to make, not for how, where you're going to retire, how much money's in your IRA account or other account, not to worry even about your children. I've got nine grandchildren, one great-grandson, but I'm not to worry about them. I give them over every day to God, saying, God, I pray that all of them may know and love you and walk in your ways, but I don't worry about them. Now, I'm not saying on occasion there are things in my life that cause me a bit of anxiety, so I'm not standing up, there, up here today saying, I've got it all together. I have to deal with sin every day myself, as you do. But this is a command, and to, to, and to not do it is to break the command of God. And God has never asked us to do anything that will harm us. I, I haven't found anything. I haven't found anything in the laws. I haven't found anything in the Ten Commandments or in, in the Psalms or in Psalm 119 or, or Psalm 19. I haven't found anything in all of Scripture where God has asked us to do something that will not be for our benefit. Even death itself. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Even death has a, has a positive thing to say to the world. You know what it does say? I was reading recently, and I love Puritans, Reformers, been reading more because I'm not a full-time pastor any longer, but when, when uh, uh, Hugh Latimer and Ridley, these are two Puritans, they were being burned at the stake, and when the, when the fire was lit, this is what Latimer said to Ridley, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light such a candle in England as never, that will never be put out. Can you imagine? The fire is being lit, and he's encouraging his brother in Christ, stand firm, things are going to be better. God is going to use our effort, just like he used Paul's effort. How many times do we... Do we speak about the Apostle Paul or Peter or any of the others? All of them died with the exception of John, but they were, they, were, they were mentors of us. They were trying to say, this is how you live out your life. It's not going to be easy all the time. Sometimes it's going to cost us. After all, what do we say? Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He died and rose again on the third day. Was it good for us? Absolutely. We have new life in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm going to be very careful here because I, I could take some time, but I think it's important because this is something we deal with all the time, worry. God said to Abraham, Abraham, in the, in the Old Testament covenant, uh, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. They're going to be as numerous as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the heaven. And Abraham was probably saying to himself, I don't even have an offspring right now. And you're telling me that the, the offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sands on the seashore? Yes. Sarah laughed at, at the thought of having a child at her old age. It was beyond her. And yet what does God do? He gives her a child, 
and Isaac is born, and before you know it, those stars and the sands on the seashore began appearing all over the world. God says, I'm going to bless the nations. We're here today partly as a result of that promise to Abraham. Of course, we have the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a better covenant. The old one's passed away, but the new covenant in Christ is even better. And then, so God gave Abraham a promise. It looked almost impossible to fulfill, but God fulfilled it. God said to Moses, Moses, take this staff, go in and talk to Pharaoh and tell them that I am sent you. Yahweh sent them. Let my people go. After a series of plagues, Pharaoh finally got the message and he let the people go. What was so amazing, they didn't have to fight their way out of Egypt. They didn't have to pick up a weapon or anything. In fact, as they were leaving, they were covered up with gifts, probably gold and all sorts of things to take with them. I think the Egyptians were just glad that they're leaving. No more free labor, but no more plagues either. But what does he do? Pharaoh changes his mind, wants to come after them. What does God do? He opens up the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land. And then when you're out in the desert for 40 years, there's no planting of of uh, seeds or anything like that. They're always on the move. What does God do? He feeds them from heaven. He gives them things to drink as well. He gives them everything that they need. They're rebelling out there in the, in the desert. And what happens? Uh, some of them lose their life as a result of that. But for 40 years they traveled. Their shoes did not wear out. Their garments did not wear out. God said, let my people go. Jesus Christ. God sent his son. He sent his son. And what did his son do? He did everything perfectly. Willingly. Dying on the cross. That we might have life. And life abundantly. Not in terms of material things. That's not... That's not what it's all about because you can't take material things with you to the grave. You came into this world with nothing and you're leaving this world with nothing. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Jesus, what does he do? He lives a perfect life. He raises the dead. He controls the wind and the waters and all that stuff. He feeds the hungry. He does all of that. He does all of that. And so what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 is something to be reminded of. That God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. Sometimes we ask for so little. When I first was in the in the church in Ramstein, and then went back to help plant other churches. I, I said, ah, our vision is, is small. I had a small vision. And it's still not a, a large ministry, but it started with one, and now we have places in Asia and some, here, some more places here in Europe, and hopefully in God's providence there'll be more places wherever 
God allows us to plant a church and wants a church planted there. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. If you've got a problem with, uh, in the family, God is able to deal with that. Bring it to him. Plead your case. We fall before the sovereign God on your knees and pray, God, help me. Help us to have the kind of marriage Help us to have the kind of kids that are going to grow up to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, following after him. Lord, we need work. Help me to find good work. Lord, pour yourself out. God is able. You're not. I'm not. But God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you ask or imagine. Do you believe that? Practice it and see what it'll do. Even said in Malachi, they were they were not getting properly to the to the church of the Old Testament. He says, Test me and yeah, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven to pour out my blessing upon you. So I don't, uh, I have a few more things I want to say. I'm not quite through, but I'm, I'm getting there. So bear with me. One of the things that uh, I think we talked about earlier, what is prayer? Because a lot of people say, I, I don't know how to pray. What, what do you pray for? Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which took, along with the shorter and the larger catechism, took the saints of old, from 1643 to 1648, addressing theology through the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Larger and Shorter Catechism. And there's an answer to what, what is prayer. And I'll just read that just very briefly so that you understand. And I won't speak to each element, but I'll speak to one in particular. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. If you don't have a Westminster Confession of Faith, larger catechism, Google. It's worth reading. It's worth studying. It's, it's worth it. It really is very instructive. And so there's a list of things that the Westminster Divines gave to us, but I, for time purposes, I'm only going to mention two. And the first one is that, that we're to offer up our desires. We don't come with a, a, a written set of desires. I guess you could. But what is it that is on your heart? What is it that moves you? Sometimes it moves you to tears. What is it? You throw yourself on the mercy of God. What does, what does the psalmist say in Psalm 62 8? Pour out your heart before him. Not just sitting on a comfortable chair, perhaps it's kneeling as Ezra knelt and he put out his hands as he was on his knees praying for Israel as they were coming back to Jerusalem or others who prayed. Uh, Stephen, who was being stoned to death, while he was being stoned, what did he do? He dropped to his knees and prayed. What did he pray? Lord, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And Jesus in the Mount of Olives there. But 
It doesn't have to be a professional prayer. I mean, there should be no such thing as a professional prayer. It's the heart. It's what is on your heart. If it's your family, pour out your heart for your family. If it's work that you need, pour out your heart. If it's some sickness you need to deal with, pour out your hearts to him. Drop down, as it were, on your knees, sometimes even prostrate, and say, Lord, Lord, I need you. I need help. The second thing, I'll just say this, we need to get over professional prayers. Pray with your heart. It may not be as eloquent, but you know what? The Lord will be pleased. He will be pleased. The second one of those things that are mentioned has to do with it must be for things agreeable to the will of God. And you say, well, how do I know that? And I would say to you, read the scriptures. That's the only place where you'll find out what the will of God is. It's the only place. And so Moses in Deuteronomy 29, 29 wrote this, the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things which have been revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that they may do all the words of the law of God. We pray the scriptures. We pray according to his sovereign will. I'm going to share a personal testimony. I guess I've talked about my mom before. But this is probably one of the most. I think I can hold it together, but I'm going to share it anyway because it, it meant so much to me and to us, to Gertie. Uh, our second daughter was born about nine years after our first daughter. And I think, and Gertie would probably know exactly, a month, six weeks, she became very ill. But before that, when we found out she was pregnant, you know what we did? I, we were so overjoyed. We walked out of the doctor's office just smiling. I even went, I think, and bought her a bouquet of roses, took her out to lunch. I'll tell you, I was all fired up. About God is knitting together in Gertie's womb a child. And, after, and she did well during the pregnancy, but about the month or six weeks later, she's in the hospital, uh, critical condition. And the doctor came out that morning. Gertie took her to the hospital. I was working, I met her at the hospital. And the doctor came out and he said, she's so sick she could die. I thought I was gonna die. I thought I was gonna die. Uh, but I didn't die. We didn't die. The people of God in Jackson, Mississippi rallied around us. And that was a Saturday when she was put in the hospital. And on Sunday after church, the intensive care waiting room was filled with people praying for us and for her. And I remember one professor, Dr. Knox Chamblin, he has gone on to be with the Lord, one of the most godly men I've ever known. He was down on the floor on his knees with us, praying and crying for her well-being. 
probably took about two or three days. And I, I was walking through the hospital. I shed all the tears. I don't think I had any more tears left in my body. But I was walking through the hospital and I said, Lord, okay, I'm ready to accept if you take her. She's yours. You made her. But know this, Lord. We love her. We want her to live. We want her to know you. It wasn't a long prayer. But I said, I'm ready, Lord. Your will be done. Not mine. She lived. Today she's a mother of six children, married to a fine Christian man. The doctor said upon her release, she might not be a good student, she might not be able to see as well, she might not be able to hear as well, but uh, those things didn't happen. She became quite the musician. She played piano for our church for all the years before she went off to college. She was about 11 or 12. She played the piano. She was very good at it. She also played in the German orchestra. She played a violin. She played, she played there. She played for the, for the uh, Bellhaven College, the, the, uh, the singers, the choir, and all that. She played. And she's done all of that. And she can see and she can hear. And she graduated with awards, I mean, with, with recognition. God answered doesn't always answer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to know how to pray, look at the scriptures. Look at Jehoshaphat. Look at Nehemiah. I love, I love all of those. Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern kingdom, had I think it's the Midianites, an army, a large army coming. And Je Jehoshaphat said, I don't think we can defeat them. What did he do? He called for prayer and fasting. And then when they went out to meet the enemy, God took care of the enemy. They didn't have to slay anyone. When Nehemiah heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, how it was in terrible shape after the, after the uh, Babylonians had destroyed the city, he, he prayed. And the second thing he did after he prayed, he went to King uh, Artaxerxes and the, and the king said, what's the matter? You look really down. And he said, I, I feel for the folks in Jerusalem. The, 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 it's a terrible situation that they're in. And Artaxerxes said to him, well, you can go. And not only did he allow him to go, but he sent building materials with him along with a, a large contingent of soldiers to protect them on their way. This was an enemy of Israel. This was a people that had taken them uh, into exile. This was a people who almost destroyed their city. But the king Artaxerxes, no doubt moved by the Holy Spirit of God, gave him permission to go, gave him the resources to rebuild, and also gave him a, a military guard to make sure he got there. Is God able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine? The answer is yes. I have a lot more to say, but I'll say this in closing. I wrote this out, it's a long sermon. The other thing that we can do, and it'll be short, 
but it'll take you a lifetime to do it. It's to advance the cause of Christ. Pray without ceasing. And if you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're a member to the body uh, of, of the body of Christ, then you need to show by your actions that you are committed fully to his kingdom, to his work, to his glory, to his praise. Sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is one way. Coming to church and doing the things to set things up and get things ready for worship, uh, studying uh, the scriptures, having Bible studies here and there and everywhere, uh, making disciples, all of those things. There's a myriad of things that we need to do. And when we pray regularly and we pray according to the scriptures, don't just pray like a lot of people pray that there's no mention of the word of God. There's nothing that's driving your prayers, but you need to be driven by the word of God. And you need to be driven by the Spirit of God once you're in the faith and you're praying to work according to the faith that God has given you to advance His name. Not only here in the Stuttgart area, but wherever you go around the world. Do it until you have no breath last left in your body. Two things. If you're worried, you won't pray. And if you're worried, you probably won't be engaged in ministry. Put the worry aside. Call it what it is, sin, a lack of trust in God. And then get busy praying and serving. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for the message. Sometimes it's a hard message for even the most mature Christians to hear. But the Lord, but Lord, the goal of Christianity is to grow to maturity together. It's not that one runs ahead and knows everything or thinks he or she knows everything, but it's working together as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, doing what is necessary according to the will of God to grow and to help other people grow and to worship you and to serve you until death do we part from this world into the glorious place that you are providing for us in the world to come. Would you hear our prayers, Lord? Not because we are worthy, but because we need you. We need you. We need your spirit. We need the body of Christ to be what you have called the body of Christ to be. Not weak, caring only about themselves, but seeing the body of Christ as a family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, help us to encourage and to move out in faith to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.